Luke 22, verse 1, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, or near, which was called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, that's Jesus, for they feared the people. Now Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. And he sent, I'm sorry, and so he went his way and conferred with the chief priest and the captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and they agreed to give him money. And he promised and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the present, I'm sorry, in the absence of the multitude. Well, then the day of unleavened bread came and the Passover must be killed. And so he sent Peter and John saying, go prepare the Passover for us that we might eat of it. And they said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare it? And behold, he said, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Now follow him into the house which he enters. And then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room that I might eat of the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large furnished upper room there, make it ready. And so they went and found it just as he had said to them, and so they prepared the Passover. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time, Lord, to be together, to be encouraged and strengthened. And Lord, in these days, Lord, I believe that in the days that we're living are like Joseph's day, where betrayal comes, and he finds himself in a pit, but Lord, you're still there with him. Joseph's whole life was filled with what we would say, is unfortunate circumstances. But Lord, he became the second in command because there is no, nothing too great for you. And so, Lord, that you would encourage us and strengthen us in the days we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread drew near, which was called the Passover. Now, Luke tells us, or he's telling the, the listener here, the Jews don't need that, that these two festivals were together. But because he's writing to the Gentiles, he says that it is nigh the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called Passover. And note with me in verse 2 how it starts, bless you, it starts the whole chapter, that the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might kill him. Notice. For they feared the people. They, they wanted to kill Jesus, but they didn't want to do it openly. They didn't want to do it in the temple. So they sought another way to get rid of Jesus. Now, just think about this for a second, because what Luke does is he sets the scene for the chapter, and he says, it's the week of Passover, and they want to kill somebody. Does that make sense? I love that Luke puts that in there. He says the religious leaders want to kill another rabbi. Now, what's interesting about the Passover week and the unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, was that in the Old Testament, they, the law of Moses said, you need to go through your house and you need to find all the leaven and get it out. And leaven is a type and a picture of sin. And yet the religious leaders didn't want to go into, inside of their own heart and remove the sin. There was so much hatred against Jesus because he was supposedly taking their power. I think it's kind of funny that, and I mean, not to push this right now, but why parlor is under attack? Because millions and millions of people are leaving the other media platforms. I won't even mention them. <laughs> Isn't it funny? 
You, you got common sense running and all of a sudden you got a bunch of religious leaders that want to commit a murder on the high holiday? That's where we are. Now, nothing is taking Jesus off guard. He knows what's coming. In fact, he has been telling them that this was coming, that he was going to Jerusalem to suffer many things at the hands of sinners. Well, then we look at Judas, verse 3. And then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. And so he went his way, and he conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him, that's Jesus, to them. And so they were glad and agreed to give him money, 30 pieces of silver that we learn. And so he promised and sought an opportunity to betray to them in the absence of the multitude. Have you ever thought of Judas Iscariot and then scratched your head? Like, seriously, like I don't get it, Lord. Remember, Jesus prayed all night to the Father for who he would have as 12 guys. Do you think that God knew about Judas? Absolutely. And yet he allowed him there. Judas, who was, notice that in verse 3, Numbered among the twelve, he had walked with Jesus and the rest for three and a half years. He saw all the miracles. He was right there every single day. They didn't take time off. They slept together at night, every morning, every noontime. Every message that everyone else heard, he heard. What does this tell us? Well, ultimately, Judas is not a believer. And to me, this is a sobering awaking. Because you can have somebody who comes to church. You can have somebody that is actually involved in ministry because he was the treasurer. Nothing against Bill or Tom, by the way. He was in ministry. And yet, look at this word in verse 4 or this phrase. I want you to highlight it and underline it. Maybe you've never seen it this way. And so he went his way. That describes Judas to a T. That he had his own way or his own idea of who Messiah was. Don't think of Judas trying to help Jesus out, right? Let's get this kingdom thing going. And No, Judas was a thief, the other gospels say. That he held the money purse, but he was a thief as well. It was all about Judas. Remember when Mary poured the anointing upon Jesus and he says, he was the one who stood up and said, that could have been given to the poor. Let me translate it. I could have got my cut out of it. And at that point, Judas turns his face to this plan. I want you to see this because you may not have seen this before. The religious leaders don't come to Judas. They've got this plan. They want to kill Jesus. Judas goes to them, and it says, we'll talk about this, and they're happy about it. This is all Judas. But again, he had been with Jesus for three and a half years. 
He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw him feed over 15,000 people. He saw him raise Lazarus out of the tomb. Nobody has that kind of an excuse, right? Like if anyone in the world, they're like, well, I, I don't know if Jesus is really who he's. This guy was that guy. He saw it all, everything. He heard it, but it never went to his heart. Oh, he had lots of mind knowledge, but he didn't have that which transformed his life. And the dangerous thing of church is that you can hide in church. You can even hide in a ministry. And Luke declares to us that Satan entered Judas, surname Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. And again, I hope you underline this. It says, so he went his way. It was about Judas's way, not about the kingdom of God, not about Jesus, not about the other disciples. It was Judas or nothing else. Let's pray today that you don't have a Judas heart. By the way, Judas, not that uh, great name that we're naming our kids, are we? Any Jezebels out there? There's like a few names in the Bible that like, we've just decided. And then in a popular culture, like uh, with the omen, I mean, sadly, there's no more Damians anymore, right? That movie killed that. <laughs> but we don't name our kids Judas. Why? Because we know what he did. In fact, it, it, he will go on. Judas himself will go on to say that he betrayed innocent blood, and yet it still didn't turn his heart. And Jesus will give, an, give him an opportunity in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus will look at Judas and say one word to him that blows my mind. Friend. Jesus washed the feet of this betrayer. When he girded himself up and he washed the disciples' feet, he stood, or I'm sorry, he knelt down and he washed the guy's feet who would turn him in. We have all faced betrayal, amen? By the way, and I won't say a woman. You'll get that on the way home. Thank you. I'm here all week. (laughs) Can we get any dumber in this country? Could it, is it possible? I don't think so. I think that was the meter. And Jesus is like, dad, can I go? (laughs) They've reached the pinnacle. (laughs) Sorry, I've just ruined the whole thing, haven't I? I really shouldn't talk about that kind of stupidity, but it just makes me laugh. So listen, we've got Judas who is going his own way. He has his own pattern. He has his own heart. He has his own agenda. Is that agenda lining up with the Messiah's? No. Please, take stock from Judas. Be careful that you know who Jesus is in your own in life. Not in your mind, but in my heart. Has he transformed my heart? You see, if Judas was a believer, it would have transformed him and he would have been different. But we don't see that. Now, know with me that he goes to the chief priest and the captains, verse 4, how he might betray him to them. Notice with me verse 5, 
they were glad. Can you imagine this? If you're the high priest and you're in verse 2 thinking how you might destroy Jesus and kill him, then literally a guy walks in the door and says, I can deliver Jesus to you. I mean, you're like, hurrah, this is great. Oh, by the way, how much do you want for him? 30 pieces of silver, which is prophesied in the Old Testament. But please note with me, 30 pieces of silver was the price for a common slave. Not 30 pieces of gold. Not 30 pieces of diamond or ruby or something. No, Judas called him a common slave. It's all right, Judas is in hell, so you don't have to worry about that. And so he promised, who's that? Judas promised, and sought an opportunity to betray him to them, notice with me, in the absence of the multitude, because they were afraid of the multitude. So Judas said, listen, uh, we'll, we'll try to do it. I'll let you know when that's going to happen. But the Passover is coming up, and so we're going to have a Passover meal probably. So I'll let you know when that's going to happen. And then the narrative continues right back into the meal. Verse 7 says, Now came the day of the unleavened bread, and when the Passover must be killed, and he sent Peter and John saying, Go prepare the Passover for us that we might eat of it. Now, in here, I believe, is some good comedy, but it also, it is throwing Judas off because this thing wasn't planned days before. If you were a Jewish family, you were preparing for the Passover, amen? You were getting the lamb ready. You were getting all of the necessary items that you had. Uh, You don't do it the night before, right? Or the day of. It takes days to get that going, even the lamb. In fact, many people think that there was no lamb at this meal, that Jesus did not want to have a lamb because he was the lamb. And I believe that there was much more going on at this um, Last Supper that we don't have recorded. Oh, I wish we would know everything that happened during this time. And you got to take all the four Gospels and put them together together. But what Luke does for us is he says, Jesus talks to Peter and John. (laughs) You got the oldest and the youngest, the strongest and the fastest. Go and prepare the Passover for us that we might eat of it. Now, note their response in verse 9. It says, where do you want us to prepare? And this is where I feel like the Bible falls short if it ever does in voice inflection. Like, are you kidding me? All the stores are closed. Everybody is in their home getting ready for the Passover. Jesus, where are we going to find a lamb or anything? It's it's all, how many of you ever done that? Thanksgiving, you walk in, no turkeys, no ham. And you're like, okay, well, it's a spam kind of Christmas. Or Thanksgiving, and you mold it into a turkey, you know, like only you can with spam. But do you see that in verse 9? I apologize if, if it seems like I'm not irrelevant to God's word, but 
I look at it and I laugh and I think to myself, these guys are serious. Lord, nothing's open. We can't do what you are asking us to do. Isn't that interesting? You ever felt like that? Lord, I can't accomplish what you are asking me to accomplish. I can't do it. But note with me how great our God is. He tells us exactly what to do. He says, behold. I love that. Like, listen, guys, I've got it already figured out. If you haven't figured this out yet, I'm God. Don't worry about it. Behold, when you enter the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Now, you and I look at verse 10, and nothing jumps out of us because we don't live in A.D. 32. And when you live in A.D. 32, I mean, think about this. Jesus, when you go into a city, there's a guy carrying a pitcher. Jesus, there's like a million guys carrying a pitcher. Ah, but they're not. Because men don't carry pitchers of water. Women do. Ah, we don't live in A.D. 32, do we? You look at a section like this, you're like, are you kidding me, Jesus? Are you going to tell them and they're going to roam the city trying to find a guy? But it, as soon as these guys come into the city, they're going to see this man. And he says, follow him. Now, that would be creepy for the guy with the pitcher. <laughs> I mean, they're fishermen from the Galilee. And this guy is from Jerusalem. I'd run too. And you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, I, I, love, I love how they do exactly what Jesus says. Don't you? Even when it makes no sense, Jesus tells them exactly what to say. Hey, when you get there, say the master, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room that I might eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large furnished upper room and there make ready. Josephus tells us about 200,000 lambs were sacrificed during this time of Jesus. And if you put the number as the law of Moses, which was one lamb per 10, you get roughly around 2 million people are in the city of Jerusalem at this time. Does anybody think that there is a room available, a banquet hall? No. I find it interesting that this man may not even know what's going on, but he's got this extra room, and maybe he woke up and was told by the Spirit, set it all up, get it all ready. I don't know why I'm getting this room ready, honey, but I feel like the Lord's telling me to get it ready. Okay. And then in the afternoon, two guys say, the master has need of it? Wouldn't it be cool if everything was there? That would be pretty neat. Now, tradition tells us whether or not this is accurate or not, that this is Mark, Mark's house. It's his parents' house. That's what tradition tells us. We're not sure it would be neat if that was. And so he, he will show you a large furnished upper room. And then he says, there, go make it ready. And so they went, notice with me, <laughs> and they found it just as he had said to them, and so they prepared the Passover. And perhaps everything was there ready for them. Now, when the hour had come, he, Jesus, sat down 
and the 12 apostles with him. So who is there? Judas. We already read what he was planning on doing, and yet he's there. And again, go read the other gospels, put it together, right? Uh, Peter is there, and the the table's in a triclinium that's like a horseshoe, a U-shape, and Peter is at one end, and And John is leaning upon the breast of Jesus, but Jesus is leaning upon Judas. The whole scene blows your mind. Why? Because Luke tells us in the beginning what's going on. Jesus knows all of this, and yet he is giving him the opportunity, just like in the garden, friend, what are you doing? Well, Jesus says to them and declares unto them in verse 15, and I like this. He says, with a fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So Jesus has been waiting. (laughs) Has he been waiting since the foundations of the earth? He wanted to have this meal with his guys for several reasons. I mean, if you were going away on a trip and you didn't know if you were coming back, or you were, didn't think that you would be allowed to travel back into the, your own country. I had a pastor friend of mine that was stuck in Peru in the beginning of the lockdowns. And he couldn't get out. And I was following him and encouraging him. And I mean, his family's in California and he couldn't get out. So if you knew that was going to be your last meal, what would you want to talk to them about? What would that look like? And of course, as we see that Jesus is... Now, instituting some of this new covenant with the church. This is something that's different. It's not the Passover. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He now takes our sins upon himself. And again, go reread the Law of Moses and the Passover sections. It's wonderful about the hyssop and the scarlet and above the, the lentils of the door and the, side, the sign of a cross. And he says, with a fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you. And he even tells them again, before I suffer. Guys, I'm going. I'm going to pay for the sins of all mankind. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So what he institutes for them and for us is communion. It is to have a reminder. That's why we're doing it. Someone was asking me, hey, I'm glad that you're doing communion because it's been a while. Well, I knew this section was coming, so I was waiting for it to come so we could partake of it together. Uh, So Jesus is instituting for the church that which God instituted for the Jews back in the Old Testament. He gave them the Passover to know that God would do this for them so too for us as the church that we, guys, we don't have, listen, hardly any biblical traditions that are in the Bible. We have two. Anybody know what they are? Communion and baptism. And baptism isn't even required. It's recommended. But for the church, we don't have the 600 laws in the Old Testament. We don't have all of that. We have this. We have the cup and the bread. As often as you eat and drink of it, do this until I return. 
This is a mandate from Jesus. And, and I don't want to get into a thing today, but this is another reason why the church needs to physically be meeting so that we can partake of communion together. I love it when I'm around the world, not anymore, but when I used to do, uh, when I was traveling in different countries and how they do communion, I love it, I love it. Uh, we do it in a very sanitized way. Bunch of germaphobes in the U.S., right? Over there, they just break bread. I love it. Get a baguette and a cup of juice, and it all gets passed around. We're all going to heaven anyway. And I, I, I love that imagery of just taking the bread and pulling a piece off. You see, Jesus' body is for everybody. Everybody can have a piece of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? No one is told no. If you seek God with all of your heart, God doesn't ever say no. You can't come. I know your past. No, he says everybody come. So let's look at this again. And there's so many, all of the gospels have this. Paul talks about this in Corinthians. And if you spent any time here, you know that I jump around in those sections of scripture when we do communion. So we're not always reading the same thing. And that's why we, we don't do communion at one time every, uh, like the first Sunday of the month or the last. We always rotate that. I don't ever want it to be, maybe you came out of an, an organized religion where you, everybody took it and it really didn't mean anything. I, I want you to long for the time of communion and say, Lord, I've had a really bad year. <laughs> I can't even say week, a year. Would you help me get through this next time? Because when I sit and I have communion, I remember how small I am and how great he is. It's the cup and the bread. And again, for us, the bread that represents his body that is broken for us. Again, you can hear me say what I say every time. His body that was broken and beaten on our behalf. So much so that when he stands before Pilate, he says, behold the man. And I don't want to uh, interject my, my thought, it, but it's like, is that even a man standing before me? Because he's been so beaten. The Old Testament said, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. That's why Jesus went to the cross. And he bled and he died for us so that you might have life and that more abundantly. And so take this and divide it amongst yourself, he says. He takes this cup. So you can imagine the scene, a, a, a nice piece of pita bread. Ooh, I can, I can just smell the warmness of it. Let me have mine. Mine has a little bit more hummus on mine. There's more falafel. <laughs> but they take in the, each one of them, they, did, they take a piece off. And it goes around. Even who? Do you get it? Then they take this cup. 
He says, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes, which means there is a day coming when Jesus will re-have communion with us. I believe that this will be one of those things for eternity. It's interesting in the book of Revelation when John is describing the Lamb of God, and we know that to be Jesus, he describes him as the, he, he sees the marks on his hands. Guys, I believe that Jesus will have those marks for all eternity. It is the reminder to us what our God did for us. And it's very possible that we will also have communion all of the time. How cool is that? Having it with the Lamb of God. So he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And I've heard this said many of times and I just love it. He says, listen, uh, if God wants us to drink wine, we'll drink it when he serves us. And not until then. I like that. If God wants me to have some Merlot, then he'll give it to me. Not until that time. (laughs) And then he took the bread and he gave thanks And he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we remember, when we look at it, I encourage you, it's hard sometimes. But when we stop and we look at the cup and we look at the bread, that we remember the pain and the suffering that he went through. Remember, the religious leaders were the ones who were doing this. It's our sin that nailed him to the cross. It's his display of love towards us. So, verse 20, likewise he took the cup after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Please note with me, it's a new covenant. So we've left the old covenant which was the Passover And now Jesus fulfills all the law and the prophets. So in the Passover, Jesus fulfills that, and now there is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, that portion ends, right? You're like, wow, that's just a wonderful time. And they're all sitting there. They're all amazed. Guys, they don't get what's going on right now. You know that. They don't have the Holy Spirit yet. And then Jesus says, behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. Because of the um, proximity of Jesus and Judas, that when they were eating in the Middle East and in Jerusalem, they have sauces around the table and you would dump your, your pita bread in there and you would, Judas is that close that his hand is next to where Jesus is dipping. Maybe you've had somebody that close in your life. Betrayal is very hard, isn't it? Especially when it's somebody that you know for a long time that you would literally hand over your kids to in a will or somebody that you've known your entire life from school onward, and at some point, they uh, defriend you. 
I, I've had to like um, defriend some people from that I went to school with in California because I just can't handle their venom and hatred, and I can't read it anymore. I just, I'm done. I, I, I don't got that kind of time nor that stress or the blood pressure. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the, on the table. Now, note with me what's interesting here. He says, truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man whom he is betrayed. And then they began to question amongst themselves which of them it was who would do such a thing. Now, maybe you think Judas is this guy that is wearing his betrayer t-shirt all the time. And all of the disciples, of course, if you would take a poll of the disciples before this event, which one would betray Jesus? Oh, it would be Judas. That's not what this says. What it says is nobody knew it was Judas. Isn't that interesting? That people, and, and I don't mean to say it this way, but people inside the, of the church can so fool everyone else. And you think, listen, we see these scandals pop up and down. We see people leave the church, and then you hear about their life, and you go, what? What are they doing? And you can feel that, but you would never say that that was the person you would ever dream of would be the person who did that. Judas is not on, he doesn't, it's like the devil. He doesn't have horns and a tail. He doesn't walk around with a shirt that says Satan on it. He's not on match.com. Well, maybe he is. They didn't know it was Judas. Does that not impact anybody else? Nobody knew it was him. Listen, I, I, I think this is a great way to end. Then we're going to have the communion here. This is a great searching moment for us. And I don't mean it to say it this way, but are you hiding like Judas in plain sight? Are you? What is your reason for coming to church anyway? Why are you here? Is it to... Worship the true and the living God and be a part of this crazy group of misfits. I love it. This is the greatest dysfunctional family going. Because hopefully we all know we're screwed up, but it's the blood of Jesus. We all know we're Jesus freaks. That's great. <laughs> Maybe someday soon we'll have to all have armbands on that have a cross on it. But I'd rather be with this group than the group I used to be a part of. And that's the world. And I love that they began to question to themselves. What I find interesting is this. This is how I end. They were saying amongst the Lord, and another gospel says this, Lord, is it I? Now, this is also very important because they were doing their own searching. Lord, could it be me? I don't know that I have that in me, but could it be me? I think that's interesting as well. But they didn't know it was Judas. Like so many people who we hear about, 
later on when they fall away. And Paul said that's exactly what's going to happen, that there will be a falling away. People will depart. Now, someone said this this week, and it didn't hit. How many of you love when, you, when someone mentions a piece of Bible in a verse and you never looked at it that way ever, and then they said something, and you're like, what? Someone, another pastor said something this week, and the passage of Scripture that he took it from, I believe specifically talks about the Jews, but he made mention of it, and I thought, huh. In Matthew 24, which we loosely went through uh, with the last chapter in the end times, Jesus said, listen, there's going to come a deception. Remember that? He said, and there will be a, a departing. People will depart. He says this, this, this line. He says, even the very elect will be deceived. And I thought about that for like days. It has literally been in my mind for days. Now, as a Bible teacher, I know exactly what that passage is talking about. It's talking about the Jews in the tribulation that they will be deceived by Antichrist. I, I know that. I, I teach that. But then I'm recon reconciling the portion with Paul and the falling away and the departing from. And Paul's point is, there have been people that you would never dream of that depart. Here's what this pastor was saying. There are those who are even deceived today inside of the church. I have never seen anything divide the church like I have with COVID. It really is sad and tragic to me. But when he said that, I went, oh, wow, even the very elect would be deceived. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they're like Judas. They've got a lot of Jesus in the head, but not in the heart. And I don't know about you, but I'm blown away that Judas took communion. I encourage you, and I don't say this when we do take communion. Often I have pastors which will say this all the time, and I say it from time to time, but Paul made mention of this. He said, look, when you take communion, you better be saved, number one. Now, we don't, when we're handing out the cups, Matt's not back there. Are you saved? Check. Give me a doctrinal thesis. Check. Right? But Paul does warn. Listen, there are those who are coming that are taking communion in a wrong way. Now, back then, Paul said, and some died. I would encourage you, if you're not a believer, don't take communion. Don't do it. Because it doesn't mean to you what it means to me. So don't take it. But also, don't not take it. Become a believer today. Accept the blood of the Lamb. Don't be deceived by the world. Don't fall away. Hold on tight. Why? Why? Because this man is coming soon.